Hi, welcome back to the Crow's Nest. I'm really excited that you've chosen to return to our second episode. I'm going to be talking to Jenny Mitchell today. Jenny is a bus driver. She's a musician known as Jenny Omnicord, among other aliases, I believe. She's also a radio host, currently hosting Bridging the Social Distance, so you should really check that out. I've personally met Jenny a couple times, but the first time I actually really met Jenny was at a book reading at a local brewery by philosophy doctors Karen Hool and Lindsay Lerman. I sort of knew Jenny, and I knew she also had a bus, and I recently got a bus, so I worked up the nerve to go up and, and um, talk to her about that, and she told me some of the craziest stories, and I felt so inspired by her. She's very genuine, she's very kind and helpful, and... So I'm really excited to talk to her about her unique perspective on materialism and how that's been influenced by her experiences, and I'm excited to share it with you. So let's welcome Jenny Mitchell and jump right into our first question. Hey Jenny, let's talk about the golden bus. For most people's definition of a tiny home is, you know, sprinter van. You've done something really unique, so I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, so my vision was a mobile sort of venue or performance space. It has living quarters in the back, partly because it has to, it's legally registered as an RV. So it has the capacity to be a home on wheels. So it has an operating bathroom, it has beds for everybody and a small kitchen area. But the first 30 feet of the bus are designed to be open sort of multi-use space. So the benches that are for people to sit and watch a show or a performance of some sort are also the benches that fold out to be beds. And so when you see it normally, it's kind of a practice for me in keeping things sparse and sort of multi-use. It I used to run a lot of alternative shows out of my dad's thrift store back when he had like a huge thrift store. And I've run shows out of other alternative spaces. And I found that over the years, spaces would shut down, like people, new landlords would take over, new building owners or buildings would get too expensive. And so a lot of things I really loved would get turfed and kicked out of those spaces. So mm-hmm. I got the bus with the plan of um, I'll have a space that I own outright that I can drive away from any of those problems. So if a part of the city becomes too expensive or too coveted for some other use, I can drive somewhere else and be a venue there. So yeah, the venue kind of part of it is more the purpose. But when we did tour on it as a band, we did a trip out east and back for two weeks and there were eight of us um so seven passengers and myself as the driver wow. and so we had storage underneath and then the back living quarters and then the front performance space so when we were driving it was in driving mode and the gear was packed up when we were performing we would unload the gear into the performance space and perform and when we were sleeping we would pack down the music gear unload the sleeping stuff set up all the beds and go to sleep so each day we kind of went through the process of packing up the sleeping part and going into drive mode packing up the drive mode part and becoming a venue packing up the venue and becoming sleeping so it was kind of a modular turnover space mm-hmm. that's a really unique um solution to the challenge of of finding spaces like that as a like smaller time i guess artist not those big concert spaces does the bus come with its own challenges as a concert venue i suspect it would be really small um it fits 20 people that's okay the rule of thumb so the 
closest thing is uh, as like a house concert. And so I think when I started, like I've had the bus for seven years now, and it first had a performance in, uh, I believe it was 2015. I think five years ago, we did something in the fall. And so, yeah, if you think of a performance basically out of a person's house where they just have a small group of people that they know, um, or people who are really excited to be at that particular show and it comes and has that sort of enclosed intimate atmosphere, that's what the bus is like. So it's very much people who are very intentional about coming to see that person, very quiet during the show. There's sort of just this shared experience of all of you being there and it not being like anything else. Um, there are challenges. I think the space is fine. The challenges are things like uh, I had a parking spot at the old diode when they had a much bigger parking lot or just to become a condo. Then their new space didn't have parking. Then I moved over to the Guelph Little Theater. Then they changed their board of directors and were worried about their parking lot having a bus in it. So I do have to kind of keep moving. A couple years, I have to sort of resolve the pickle of like, where am I going to park it? Uh, I feel like that's still better than when people have to resolve where am I going to have a whole venue. Yeah, definitely. That's a much smaller uh, find. Yeah, like it's just, it's a different challenge. Like at least I know that the venue that I love and that I've been putting all of this work and effort into, like uh, we invested in a pretty significant solar panel setup and that was made possible through the Elevator Project, which was a local sort of granting funding um, project where people would pitch ideas and then the city would work to try to find um, partners to help support it. So I got some funding over a few years to put in the solar panel system. So at least if I have to move, I'm still moving the venue as we know and love it. And it still mm -hmm. exists. I don't have to start over like when people have to, you know, in the same time that I've owned my bus, Ed Video has had to move and completely re interpret you know what their performance or public space looks like and mm -hmm. um i know a few other groups that have had to move in that time as well and it's definitely a much huger shift and investment for them even diode having to change it's a lot of work to that much stuff and start over so i'm really thankful that i don't have to do that kind of thing yeah i mean the guelph tool library itself we we've been operating for about three years three and a half and in that time we've moved once um and it's really hard to find a new space that has everything that you need within a price point that works for nonprofit groups and and places like ed video and diode that are really reliant on memberships and and oh absolutely and that's the thing like the money that people put into being members when you get to stay where you are that gets to get reinvested as as things as tools as upkeep but when you have to spend it on moving expenses it kind of feels like nobody really benefits from that it's just sort of a required part of the whole thing definitely yeah I know even um your dad has been posting on Facebook about um his landlord and his situation there and the amount of times that he's had to move disarray and I just like can't imagine having to uproot a space like that that you come and love and and turn into something really unique and then have to give up so definitely the bus yeah. is a is a great idea the thrift store was the major 
impetus for the bus because um, at his old store, his 2,000 square foot store, we had concerts for um, about six years. And it was like the most, it was a similar size of audience, to be honest, to the bus. We rarely had more than 20 people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had thrift stock when the store was closing. We had upwards of 200 people because we had emptied out all the furniture. But typically, 30 people or less was pretty common for the thrift store shows but it got bought by the city to be turned into the library and then that never happened that was um, in 2008 that the store was purchased and then it was turned into a private parking lot and that's all it's been ever since and so you know it would have been one thing to see a space I love turned into a vibrant community space like a library but the fact that that never happened and that now he may have to move again 12 years later um, and we don't know what he'll move into or what it will be capable of being and I just didn't want to have that pattern happen for my own artistic project. That's definitely fair. Yeah, my own reasoning for my bus is very similar that um, like I'm very particular. I like to be surrounded by my my things. I'm like a visual artist so when I'm not you know, don't have like my, my tools out, I get, it's very sad, you know. Um, and being a university student who is usually pretty broke, it was really hard to be moving like every eight or six months into like one dorm or one small room or another um, and having to like pack up all the things that I love and then have them sit in boxes because there's no space for them. Yeah. Um, and so now having the bus, it's like, I like, get filled with so much joy thinking about it to be able to like travel as much as I'd like to and and to move and to just still have the security of having a place where all of my things and this is my space and you know I don't have to pay a landlord for it I don't have anyone else telling me I can't put things on the wall and it's just like crazy freedom yeah so to have that for like a, a venue would be crazy amazing yeah so speaking of your dad you have a pretty Guelph famous dad mm-hmm. my dad is this character and he's very outrageous I think the bigger thing with him is he was so self-made. He just, uh, everything in our life was so like, you know, cash in hand and the value of items, the story of items. Like you saw every single piece of how our life was possible come through the store and leave the store and who it went to and who it came from. And so I think that uh, the thriftiness and the, entrepreneurial spirit of him was so embedded in our upbringing but also the appreciation of things the history of things and um, the life they can have again in someone else's hands so I think like yeah it that all of those kinds of philosophies are absolutely inseparable from my childhood there was uh, I think of people who have jobs or their parents had jobs that they really didn't know anything about And mine was the opposite. I went to the thrift store every single day after school. I went there on my lunches when I was a kid before I was old enough to, you know, stay at school or go home on my own. Uh, Yeah, I don't remember a time before the thrift store in some way or another and working there, too. I started working there when I was 11 years old or 12 years old. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, so yeah, his he definitely has a character that was him at home at the store, out on the town. That was him all the time. That's really incredible. I think that a lot of people really miss, especially in our our modern Western society, that puts a lot of emphasis on 
uh, the disposability of things to to have someone to show you how important they are and the stories that they can hold um, and really just show you how to cherish an in- individual object as it is. I think that's like an incredible, incredible thing to have. Mm-hmm. Well, it's definitely something that I see as a kindred thing with the tool library. There's a lot of items that are thought of as disposable or you don't they don't occur to you until the moment you need them. You know, think of like a wheelbarrow, like uh, when you have a big pile of leaves or sticks or something you need to move or soil, the wheelbarrow is suddenly this amazing thing. But how many other moments of the year is it, you know, buried in snow or getting in the way or just not needed for anything? And I think we have a very immediate reaction to need and we just want to solve it right away. It was neat to see how items would come in as somebody else's garbage or, you know, they'd already had their use and then they would solve someone else's problem later. And, and the tool library absolutely shares that philosophy. And I think that's um, an awesome way of looking at, at objects. Yeah, that's a really excellent point. Um, so many objects in, in so many tools in the inventory for the tool library um, are things that will be so incredibly popular for like two weeks at a time. And then the rest of the year, uh, they almost never get rented out. Um, yeah. And I think about the amount of people who are taking out an item in you know a two week span. And if they didn't come to us and, and instead went out and bought that item, and then you know there's 30 more in the world that didn't really ever need to exist and instead people can come to a place like the tool library or even a place like disarray um and just find it already existing already has a story already is you know out in the world and you can just add to that a little bit which i think is really cool yeah well for sure and i think the other layer to that is when finding the item inspires you to do an activity that hadn't even occurred to you and i think that kind of impulse happens with buying things new as well. But I think that to just randomly spend money on something that you've given no prior thought to is maybe a really unhealthy habit of, um, you know, of consumerism is a very capitalist kind of Western world way of, of looking at things. But going into the tool library, having a membership and then perusing tools on, you know, if you go on your website and look at the things, the, you know, we've done projects at our house because the tool exists. It hadn't even occurred to us before and we can borrow it. So it's inspiring and gives us a new idea, but it also does away with like, you know, that habit of, of purchasing to be inspired. It really allows so much more accessibility, I think, to, to like the bus would have never been a possibility for me without the tool library. Um, like I'm a, a city kid who's never list, lifted a drill in her life before I bought a bus. And all of a sudden it was, I needed a million different tools that I didn't have the budget or the skills to bother owning. And instead I can go to the tool library and pick up an angle grinder and a reciprocating saw and 10 more things that I had never even heard of before, you know, 10 minutes ago when I found out I needed them. And and I was in the exact same boat. It's just because my bus predates the tool library being as full of, um, actually, I think it predates the tool library altogether. It does. Yeah. So in the early stages, my equivalent was diode being parked at a makerspace with access to tools and to people who knew how to use them. That was another key part was building a community of resourceful builders and scientists and problem Mm -hmm. solvers. uh, yeah, it was. You know, I've often joked about having Golden Bus playing cards 
um, or collector cards showing all of the different kind of bus heroes over the years who have saved us. Well, the other thing with that, with my dad, like it's a store, but I remember him talking to university students who would come through and he'd tell them like, you know, if you buy a chair right now, that's a good quality chair. And then you are moving two years, three years, one year from now, I'll buy it back because somebody else will then buy it to have a chair. So it was kind of like a longer term version of something like a tool library, but with furniture. So the smart students would come buy good furniture, even if they had to pay a bit more on the front end, because they'd get almost all of it back when they sold mm-hmm. it back the very same things. So I'd see the same chair or table set or couch come in and out of the store three or four times over the span of like eight years because they invested in good stuff. And all the students that went to Ikea or one of the places, their stuff didn't last. It wasn't Mm -hmm. worth selling two years later. It was just basically garbage by then. So like paying attention to the longer term possibilities of buying something of good quality and the fact that, you know, it's an investment, but you can also just carry, like, pass it on to somebody else later so they can get that use over again, too. Mm-hmm, absolutely. That's an excellent point. Like, moving so much, I have collected so much furniture. And at this point, I just, like, gift it to my friends on a temporary basis. Hey, do you need a couch? Do you need a rug? Because... I think about like spending 200 bucks on a couch now and then in three years spending 200 bucks on a couch again because a year later I sold the first one because I couldn't fit. It's just so crazy, Um, especially when you're thinking of buying all of these things new, you know, going to Ikea and and loading up for your first house or first apartment and then coming back and, and two years later doing it all again. It's just, to me, the definition of insanity. Yeah, it's not sustainable it's not exciting it's actually quite heartbreaking i think the first time you are packing up belongings that are now garbage um and i mean i don't thankfully i've almost never experienced that with my own furniture but i have absolutely experienced that going with my dad to pack up someone else's house and you know it becomes a dump run it doesn't become somebody else's home the landfill and it's uh it's sad to imagine you know all of those nice moments that could have been carried on i'm also just like super nostalgic and a hoarder though oh same me as well i have been called a pack rat my whole life um especially by my mom who's had to deal with it the most yeah when i was a teenager i used to buy sets of dishes or collect them from my dad's store for hypothetical future kitchens i would have And I was living at home in a bedroom and did not Mm -hmm. need dishes. I honestly do the exact same things and have for a while, yeah. I, yeah, like I have a bunch of couches and a bunch of like big furniture that as a student who has like mostly lived in one room in someone else's house that has, you know, already been completely furnished, it's just so unsustainable. But I, create such like an intense emotional bond with all of my belongings that even when I'm going through and getting rid of like a pen that I don't need anymore I'm like okay well how can I repurpose this object because it has you know given itself to me and I don't want to let it down by just throwing it away yeah I relate in a very big way it gets hard though Hmm. well it's interesting like now that we're in these weird quarantine days um I feel so vindicated that I've collected so many interesting things because my house just feels like an absolute paradise of um, of creative and entertaining items. 
and uh, I saw at least one meme about the Marie Kondo, like how mm-hmm. how are people feeling after last year's purging of all things, and now you're stuck with your three books you decided to keep. And I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm feeling pretty good about my hundred books, graphic novels, board games, paintings, folk art, taxidermy. I'm mm-hmm. having a blast over here. Yeah, like there's no possible way for me to be bored right now. Yeah, no, agreed. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. Uh, for me, because I was just going through the opposite process of just being so out of the house and just I have so many things that have really taken up all of the space in my brain of projects that I want to finish and things that I want to do and things that I've got at home that are waiting for me. And I just never had any time for them. And it was really like breaking my heart. And now I'm at home and I have so much time to do everything. And I'm like really in my element, I found, except for the part where I can't go outside at all. Yeah, no, I, I relate to that too. I've actually been too busy to do some of the things still. It just feels very strange, but I'll get there. I know I will. I've just go at night. I have um, some really strange ones too. Like I am obsessed with miniature houses. Really? Yeah, but I can't have all of the miniature houses that I would ever want, but I have books of paper villages but I've never assembled them because they would take up too much room in their three-dimensional form. Mm-hmm. So I'll just take them off the shelf from time to time and peruse through the pages, studying all of the insides of tiny houses and imagining what they'd be like. If they oh were my put. goodness. Yeah. That's actually so cool. I love them. I really do. But yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's eccentric. It's got part of my dad coming out of me, I guess. Mm-hmm. My my collections, I collect a lot of jars, love jars of every size. Uh, at this point, I have more jars than I have things to put them in, and I just will start randomly putting things in jars so that I can keep displaying them. Nice, yeah. The jars, not the things in them. Like, I don't well, care about I that part. <laughs> it becomes both. I, yeah. Um, yeah. What, what is it about the miniature houses? I I really don't know. I've always liked miniatures. Um. Like, uh, I was never really a doll person. Well, that's not true. I guess when I was really little. But I really liked the, I think I liked the idea of, of a town. Of, mm-hmm. like, a whole sort of implied story arc that goes along with the the little miniature world. So sometimes just, like, setting up a dollhouse to suggest a life lived in the house was as exciting as any kind of like child like role play of the characters I'm sure I did do that when I was a kid but now it's much more common that I mean I keep a dollhouse even in my adult room and just will periodically change where they're sitting or something but as I'm not playing but I I guess I'm just like excited at the at putting myself in a different world like in I've become very attached to like sims and games like that because oh, yeah. I can kind of create universes um, on the computer that don't take up space. Mm-hmm. So that's been really kind of, I don't know if it's healthy, but it's like a different place to put the same energy. But I think it all comes from the same place. I think I really love imagining worlds and societies and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm physically limited to just the one I've got. I do my best expanding my social life and social networks and stuff in the real world too. But I think the miniature worlds just hold all kinds of other imaginary possibilities. You can do a lot more, I think, with with things like Sim. Just like they have crazy gay mechanics that definitely you wouldn't be able to play out in real life the same way. Yeah, it's funny because I think um, 
some things like video games can get a bad rap and they definitely they can be really dangerous slippery slopes for people that um get obsessed and are doing that instead of the things they should be doing but they i i have a healthy relationship with places to escape to like i think Mm -hmm. it's really important to give yourself breathing room and get outside of your own world when you can and i think probably a lot of different people have their ways of doing that i'm sure some people go fishing some people you know um read books to Mm -hmm. teleport themselves and their imagination to those places i think that having miniature houses or playing the sims is probably on a some sort of psychological level not all that different it's just the place I go when I need something to check out and then come back from you know yeah absolutely I think that honestly like tv and movies does the same thing yeah um and I think I think though that that sims and the like they allow for more control which is my appeal to them like sitting and watching a movie it's it that that's someone else's world that I'm viewing whereas Mm -hmm you know with other things a lot of creative creative games and creative arts and the like are are much more about you know this is my space this is my world and I can do whatever I want in it you have a really interesting bus story on how you how you acquired it is that something you would be interested in sharing yes I'll try to share the somewhat shorter version because it's pretty long-winded but um when I was looking for a bus I was uh, primarily looking on things like Kijiji and I had exhausted my research I had um, there's a guy named Fred Eaglesmith who's a musician and uh, also known for traveling with a fleet of buses to do tours and stuff and he was kind of my bus um, mentor I guess oh. so when I was looking into purchasing buses I kept sending different listings and ads to Fred Eaglesmith and in each case he would shut it down uh, but there'd be a reason there'd be like that one the drive shaft will go or that one will have bad brakes or that's not an, a good company or that's a terrible engine and when I found mine I was actually looking for a school bus I was planning to paint it gold and when I found mine I found a listing that said was never a school bus and was a gold bus wow and it was just this weird thing where i found out very shortly after that that for insurance purposes it's actually way easier to insure if it's not a school bus oh yes but, i'm I yeah. have that problem now yeah so in any case i found this listing it was totally surreal it seemed perfect i sent it to fred and he's like if that is what it says it is you found your bus so um i reached out to this person he was living in the yukon the seller uh, the bus was up near Kingston, mm. it, which is where I was born. Oh, when I cool. started talking to him, all of these different coincidences started unraveling. Like this tiny little town in Atlin, BC, where he was living in the Yukon, was a town I'd been to multiple times before and performed music, even though it was the smallest, most obscure place. I wow. found out that even though he was living in the Yukon and the bus was near Kingston, uh, he grew up in Guelph, which was oh. just coincidence and then I found out when he got the bus in the first place he actually purchased it from that place T-Rex that was out on uh, uh, Highway 24 Mm -hmm. right across the road from the school bus company that I drive school bus for so there's just thing after thing after thing that made it the most perfect bus and it needed a ton of work Mm -hmm. so I went and saw it I fell in love with it Um, there was a mechanic living 30 seconds down the road that had um, done a bus conversion before 
So that was also a wild coincidence. I had access to a bus conversion experience mechanic who lived on the same country road as where this bus was randomly parked in a field. And he actually went to see it. And he was the only person who told me I shouldn't buy it. And it was just because it was going to need so much work. Uh, but I convinced him I was up for it. And the seller up in the Yukon said, you know what? It needs work. So I don't need the money right away. I do need money you know, on principle because it's an important bus to me. But like he said, you know, I've moved up to the Yukon three years ago. I thought I'd be here for six months. Three years later, I realized I'm not coming back anytime soon. I need to sell my bus. And so he loved that I loved it. We had that in common. So he agreed to sign the bus over to me and put it in my name and start charging me like months later. So the mm -hmm. idea was I could save my money to be working on the repairs and I could pay him after the fact. So it was a huge amount of trust for this person who's never met me in real life to sign the bus over to me. Um, but that way I could start repairing it and know that I wasn't going to run the risk of repairing his bus and having him change his mind. But he made an arrangement with me. He signed it over in April and he made this sort of contract that said September 1st, I would start paying him $200 every second month. And then, um, basically September 1st rolled around. It was Labor Day. I realized the banks weren't open and I'd already messed up setting up my first payment. <laughs> and I went on Facebook to send him a message to be like, I promise I'll send you money tomorrow. And when I went on Facebook, I saw a post from his nephew saying like, RIP. And his uncle, um, who was my friend who was selling this bus, had, had died. Wow. And he had died on the very day that I was supposed to start paying him for this bus. So it was just the trippiest thing. Like it was just such a random, unexpected occurrence. He had a heart attack. It was not expected. Um, and I didn't know what to do. I hadn't paid him, but I already had the bus. It was already in my name. So I just decided to wait. I was like, I don't know if someone's going to get in touch with me. I don't know who he leaves behind. So a few mm -hmm. weeks went by and then I got a call from his son. And uh, yeah, and his son was like, I found this paperwork about my dad's bus. I can't believe that he actually had this thing. And goes on to tell me this crazy story about um, he, his son lived in Vancouver, raced up to the Yukon when he got the call that his dad had had a heart attack. His dad ended up passing away while his son was en route. But his son oh. went in to sort of pay his respects to find out that his dad's girlfriend had stolen, like, all of his dad's, like, his wallet, his identification. Wow. Everything. So his son's just telling me that everything had been crazy. Like, his dad owed everybody money. This woman has stolen all this ID. He's like, honestly, anything you give me towards the bus will help pay for my expenses of staying in a hotel while I dealt with the death of my father. Otherwise, like, you know, the collection companies are just going to take everything else. So I made him an offer on the bus and then we just started talking longer and him and I kind of became friends over wow. the phone. It was the strangest thing. We were sharing stories about his dad and I never met his dad in real life, but mm -hmm. his uh, dad told me, He's like, you're going to do what I could never do, which is fix up the bus and then you'll drive it to the Yukon and that's when we'll meet. So that was always what our plan was when he was alive. So um, my plan has been to do right by the ghost and eventually do that very thing. Eventually, when I've 
you know, maybe on its last big trip or something, I might try to drive it up to the Yukon to sort of reconnect with the spirit of, of the dad that's up there, you know. But, um, but yeah, it was beautiful. After talking to his son on the phone, his son was like, you know what, my dad liked you. I like you. I'm going to knock some more money off. So I ended up buying the bus. I think it was like $750. But it was just the craziest situation. And um, I think his son just knew how much his dad wanted me to have it. And um, yeah, it was just like a special thing that we could share. So that is an incredible story. Um, It really seems that you were meant to have the bus, you know, went out of its way to find you before it didn't have the chance to anymore. Well, his son had a comment on the phone that like totally made me cry, which was he said, I've been telling everyone my dad didn't leave me anything, but I'm changing that now. I feel like my dad left me a new friend. Oh, it just, yeah, totally broke down when that, when that was said, but yeah, it was beautiful. That is he so wrote sweet. Me an email. He's like, you're now the proud owner of a golden bus and, you know, just like wished me well on my way and it's been uh, beautiful. And I, I've been, I feel like the ghost um, travels with us, like mm-hmm. in a special way. Like we've been rescued time after time while we've gone out on our adventures and some beautiful eccentric mechanic appears out of nowhere to solve the thing that's gone wrong. And I'm absolutely convinced that there's like this kind of, um, you know, guardian angel of golden buses. That- yeah, absolutely. You have somebody watching over you. Yeah. The bus has amazing energy coming into it, you know? Yeah. It seems very cosmic. Yeah. Well, and I'm, you know, it's it's weird these quarantine days. It's like I don't want to drive around or be an unnecessary burden on, you know, flattening the curve or anything. But I do think in a few months' time, if we're still in some form of lockdown, I might take my family and go for a little drive, just pack up everything we need, you know, and make sure we're not interacting with anybody. But mm-hmm. it, I, I think like it'll be nice to change what the outside looks like while staying inside, you know? Yeah, definitely. I feel like having having a bus, you know, having or even any sort of van RV vehicle like that is so like comforting during times like this when this all of this started like I didn't have my bus with me it was up in Port Perry at a mechanic and it had been there for months and I hadn't seen it since I bought it in August and it was just sort of like it wasn't running when I bought it and it, I hope that it was running now but I had no idea what was going on with it and this all of this started and I was just like so terrified of doing it even just like without my bus here and so like as soon as I heard that things were starting to close like I just rushed everything I like ran to service Ontario and got everything that I could and and went and got it and it's just so much nicer to have it here I feel congratulations yeah it's actually huge all of my thoughts have been on it we like spray painted it as soon as we got it here and um but just like silly little designs and been driving it around town a little bit while I've been moving to to get from one house to another and the looks that I get have been very funny oh yeah yeah, that I don't think that ever stops. Yeah, I probably not. Do you have people try and like get you to honk and everything? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. And the horn wasn't working for the longest time, which is very disappointing to people. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's good to know that won't go away. That'll be fun forever. Okay, bye. Bye. Thank you, Jenny, and and thank you for coming along with us for that. I hope our conversation inspired some kind of consideration into your collecting habits. Whether you collect or you absolutely do not collect, I hope you consider why that is. And 
where the value of items comes from for you. It's usually sentimental and utility. If something has a purpose for me, I want it to fulfill that purpose. Or if something is sentimental to me, I want to keep it out and see it and be able to remember those things. Whatever it is that's holding the sentimentality and whatever it represents. So I hope that you consider how that influences your treatment of them. You know, when they no longer have utility, do you throw them away? Do you reuse them so that they have new utility? Do you fix them or repurpose? If an item was once sentimental and now no longer holds any sort of sentimentality, what happens to it then? So these are these are the sort of questions I idly ask myself while I'm cleaning and interacting with my things. I think Jenny and I mentioned that, um, at least in part, we both feel a very strong sense of security towards our buses and the independence that that gives us, or the freedom to get away from things. I really love it because it's a self-made way to be able to live in our cities and not have to. I really don't enjoy the idea of paying rent, so the bus is sort of a way for me to be able to escape that and not have to compromise on that value. So... Where does your idea of security come from? Do you do you get it from money in the bank? Do you get it from seeing your family providing for them? Or when you see your pets being taken care of, is that where your sense of security comes from, that I'm providing security for someone else? Maybe you see it in your community, in the way you help them or the way that they support you. Maybe when you look at your food in the fridge or the pantry, you have a feeling of security that you know that you can feed yourself. Or maybe it's independence. Maybe your idea of security isn't a roof over your head or a job. Maybe instead it's the ability to travel. Maybe it's the ability to just disappear or be in control of your every movement. Maybe that's your idea of security. But whatever it is, I hope that Jenny's and mine's conversation about ours helped you reflect on your own. I hope that reflection is a positive one and that you connect better to yourself. Or maybe you didn't have any of that and you really just enjoyed Jenny's incredible story of how she acquired her a little bit spooky serendipitous bus. Either way, I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you come back next time. Thanks so much. Okay, bye!